Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of King's Cross Church in Charleston, South Carolina. My name is Chip. I'm one of the pastors here. We are so glad that you are joining us. It's been a minute since we have done one of these Q&A podcasts, and so we are uh, thankful to shake aside some of the busyness of the summer and be able to sit back down again. I'm joined by my good friends, Megan Parton. Hello. And Josh Romine. What's up? <laughs> and off mic uh, is Jacob Benton, who... Uh, you can't hear from, or I guess because this is a podcast, you can't see either, but uh, he's here and making sure we all sound good. And He doesn't talk as much anymore because he just got married and he's learned not to talk. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, we have had a bit of a busy summer. I know uh, there are several people who've asked us when we're going to have our next Q&A podcast. Uh, so we've gotten a little bit behind, but we had summer camps and vacations and moving kids into college and all kinds of moving parts. And um at least one of us at the table got married. Uh, congratulations, Jacob and Teresa on their nuptials and um, had a honeymoon. And so we've had all kinds of things going on. So thank you for your patience with us. Uh, we are actually going to do um, j- just kind of a general recap of in the sermon series called The Story as we're working our way through the Bible this year. Uh, chapters five, six, and seven are what we're going to be talking about today. So it'll be a little bit all over the place. Maybe this one will be a little bit longer uh, than what some of the other ones have been. Let me just remind you quickly of kind of where we are because uh, this past Sunday, and we're recording on a Tuesday, so this past Sunday, September 3rd, we wrapped up uh, the Old Testament part of our sermon series. And so we started back in January seeing how God created the world. He created it good. He created mankind in his own image. And Man rebelled against God and kind of shattered his good paradigm. Um, the world uh, began to be filled with sin and the escalating problems because of that. God's response to man's sin was to make a promise um, that he was going to send one who would make all things new again. And we have followed along through the story as God um, at one point wiped out nearly everyone on the earth except a man named Noah and his family and he began to rebuild with them. We saw where God scattered people across the face of the earth when um, people tried to build a city for themselves and a name for themselves. He confused their languages and we saw where he made a covenant with a man named Abram and uh, and said that through this one man the whole world would be blessed and he used the descendants of Abraham to build a nation that for a while was enslaved in Egypt but through the work of a man named Moses he freed his people and brought them uh, through into a land that he had promised to them, established a kingdom, uh, the heights of which was reached under King David and his son Solomon. But after that, things began to descend again. And as we've seen over the last several weeks, as the kingdom was divided and God allowed pagan nations to rise and uh, to punish his people for their sin, actually at one point sending them into exile, but a remnant remained and has been restored and we talked Sunday about how the city of Jerusalem had been rebuilt both the temple and the walls and yet the people were drifting back into old patterns of sin and so it's kind of where we find ourselves at the end of chapter 7 of the story next week September 10th uh, we turn the page from Malachi to Matthew and we begin the New Testament and begin to study the life and ministry of Jesus but before we get there we wanted to talk to you about a few questions that we had and some of you have had uh, regarding uh, specifically chapters 5, 6, and 7 uh, prophets and the wisdom 
literature that we've been looking at together over the last, what, two months? Yeah. Eight, eight or ten weeks. Um, so who wants to kick us off? That's kind of where we are. That's where we're headed on this podcast. Hope that you enjoy it. I think um, we're pointing at each other. One of us has a question. Who is it? Okay, sorry. I Josh, Josh was so good right. to help us with the plan, and I still needed his help. So That's thank right. you, Josh. We've had a lot to catch up on. Um, Needing so. Josh's help is something we're all used to. <laughs> what would we do without him? Honestly, not just and it's not just the behind. it's not just the three of us or four of us in the room saying that. It's also you all listening as that's well exactly are right. probably saying amen. Well, if at I got y'all believing that, that's yeah. good job security <laughs> for me. <laughs> it is so, Chip. I've got a question for you. Shoot. Um. So in Second Samuel eighteen mm. or no, I'm getting this wrong. Second Samuel twelve eight. God talks about having multiple, or the Bible talks about having multiple wives. So mm. is God okay with polygamy in the Old Testament? Mm. So is Bronson not good enough for you? <laughs> I mean, I don't have a ring on yet. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> how many fingers you got on your I still got open got hands, you know what I mean? <laughs> Lots of fingers. Oh, my goodness. Hopefully he doesn't listen to this. Yeah, uh, no one does. It's okay. Uh, it's a good question. It's, so what we need to remember about the Old Testament is that um, large parts of it are descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive, right? So the um, biblical authors are faithful to record the reality of the time, and sometimes that reality is godly and sometimes it's not. We also see that there are uh, many, many times in the Old and New Testament, actually, where God is making an accommodation uh, for either the hardness of human hearts or the sinfulness of human behavior. If the only people God could ever use were people who perfectly obeyed his law um, and perfectly followed his will, uh, he would have never worked through anyone other than the Lord Jesus himself. And so um, there are times when the Bible describes the reality of people's life, for example, polygamy, and God uses them because he's accommodating to the reality of their life. It doesn't necessarily mean that that is his um, highest and best plan. Yep. Right. And so um, polygamy is not the only uh, place where you see that. You see lots of things um, that people might question similarly in the Old Testament. Like, for example, when the nation of Israel is conquering the promised land and God commands his people to destroy every man, woman, child, and animal in the cities he's conquering. Clearly, we're not called to that type of activity. God isn't establishing a theocracy today. Quite the opposite. In fact, Jesus said, you know, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my people would fight with swords. Well, in the Old Testament, the kingdom was of this world. There was a theocracy. That's not the way now. Um, and so the kingdom is established in different ways. So there are not just polygamy, but there'll be other places in the Old Testament where you run across things and you may think, wow, this doesn't seem like something that's particularly honoring to God. Uh, this doesn't seem in line with God's commands. And it may not be. Or it may be that God was doing something a little different. Um, for example, the conquering of those cities. Uh, and so you just have to examine the context and kind of see where you are. Hmm. Is that helpful? Yeah, and also I think when you look at um, different guys in the Old Testament, patriarchs of the faith, that we would say, you know, Jacob and Isaac and mm. Abraham and like giants of the faith in the Old Testament, you'll see lots of them, particularly with polygamy, had multiple wives. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that God was condoning that. 
because never in the Old Testament has he commanded that. In fact, it's really clear throughout the Bible that it's one man and one woman. Mm -hmm. We say, well, God used them mightily, Mm -hmm. but yet they were living in some areas of their life that are against the will of God. Mm -hmm. Well, if God only used those who were 100% of the time following God in every single area of their life, then he wouldn't ever use people. That's right. Because we're all falling short of God's Mm -hmm. glory. And so it's only by God's grace that any of us can be used. Now, I do believe that the closer we grow to the Lord and the more that we follow in line with his commands, the more that he is going to use us exponentially in our lives. Agreed. But that God is sovereign and that he can use even wicked nations to carry out his will. That's right. And he can do the same thing with individual people. Agreed. Well, I also just think, too, God wants us to use wisdom and common sense. And is it really the wisest thing to have multiple partners? You know what I mean? Like, even if God didn't work out too well for Solomon, right? Like, even if God didn't say, um, or, you know, do not do this specific thing, like we could still apply biblical wisdom to marriage and assume that it's the wisest thing to do to only marry one person or, you know, if you're a man, one woman, if you're a woman, one man. So I guess, Another thing that I think of is the thing that God always is after is our hearts. Mm. And so if our hearts are in covenant with multiple different people, I know it's it, it could potentially maybe be possible because a lot of really godly patriarchs had multiple wives in the Old Testament, but it seems like it would be really, really, really challenging mm. to have a heart that puts God first and also have multiple spouses. Well, y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there's any case that I know of in the Old Testament to where there was a situation where there was a man who had multiple wives and it was in the home. It was a God-honoring home that was full of joy and peace. You don't think that Rachel and Leah and all of them had a drama-free <laughs> home? <laughs> yeah. It was great uh, reality TV shows. The fertility well, we had challenge. some technology back then. A oh lot of people gosh. would be tuned in, I'm sure. There's ripple effects to sin, that's for sure. Who's next? Uh, I got a, I got a question. So uh, if you look in the Old Testament, which is where we've been, that's where we've been looking, mm-hmm. we see um, miracles happening, um, particularly in the books of history. So we see that Moses performed a lot of miracles. We see um, Elijah and Elisha performing miracles. We see other miracles in the Bible, such as with Enoch and Noah and Daniel um, even though Enoch and Noah and Daniel and his friends were not necessarily performing them, we just mm-hmm. see miracles happen even outside of them. But with Moses, Elijah, and Elisha, they seem to have God working through them to directly perform maybe 95% of the miracles in the Old Testament. So what's so special about these guys? Like, why these men? It's hmm. a good question. Um, I'll start an answer by saying that uh, Elijah and Elisha, I think you can lump together. Um in the same way that David and Solomon, for example, when you talk about um, their reign, you're really talking about um, a block of time. They're so closely associated mm. that their time as king, um, they almost function as um, as two halves of a whole. Okay, so it, in my mind, Elisha as the uh, successor protege of Elijah. Mm they are so closely related in their prophetic ministries. 
that they almost become parts of a whole. So if you can stipulate that, then I think what you have is Moses is the, um, is the fountainhead of the law, mm. Elijah the fountainhead of the prophets. So then when you get to the New Testament um, and you see, for example, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, you find um, uh, he, Jesus is there. He's transfigured into the fullness of his glory. Peter, James, and John uh, see him there, and he's there with Moses and Elijah. Mm. Elijah. <clears throat> and so what you are seeing there is, you know, Jesus has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets pointed to him. And so God is establishing through the miracles the veracity or the credibility of the, uh, of the testimony of the law and the prophets and then the fulfillment of them in Christ. You know what's interesting about that, and this is just kind of a fresh thought I hadn't thought about until this moment, but I have thought about this, that it seems like because people would say, and they do. Um, I've even thought about this. Like, we don't see a lot of the kind of miracles that we saw in the Old and New Testament today in everyday life in America. Mm. And I think one of the reasons is that we have the revealed Word of God mm -hmm. that tells us, that points us to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And um, it seems like even the miracles that we hear of today are happening in places where they don't necessarily have much exposure to the word of God. Mm -hmm. And you, so you see with these guys, you see with Moses represents the law and Elijah and Elijah represents the prophets that there, there may be something there that God is doing to direct people to what these guys represent and what mm -hmm. they're saying yeah. ultimately, which is pointing to Jesus. And so you see Jesus come on the scene and even his disciples afterwards in the book of acts where miracles are still happening because we don't have a closed canon of the word of God mm -hmm. that the um, Gutenberg press has, has been able to get out to many people. Mm -hmm. And so we need um, God to draw attention to those that are speaking his word through the forms of miracles. Yeah. And that's why I think you see more miracles in the first part of acts. And then it begins to taper off. Ooh, I didn't think about that because huh. the ministry is being established. Mm -hmm. The credibility of the church is being established through those. What are you saying? Well, I was just going to say there's also a real reality that we have the most important things that God wants us to know in Scripture, mm -hmm. but there's also plenty of things that may have been that may have happened that may not be reflected here. Oh, sure. In the Bible, so there are other miracles in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that could have happened that were other men that we may or may not just know about. Yeah, true, and I do think. Um, just for the sake of saying it, I, when, when you, you're, you're right, you allude to this, Josh, when you hear about uh, healings or God reveals himself to people in dreams, when you hear of those things in modern human cultures, um, it is almost always in cultures where the church is not established. Hmm. Um, and, and there is, um, it, they, they are breaking through darkness and spiritual oppression in ways that frankly we just don't experience in you know the 21st century west um, it's a different culture so it's almost like for us the entire the most important miracle is the gospel and that we have access to the word of god and so when the 
Keep, I was gonna say it's the gospel yeah. and I was like, oh no, what did I say? I was getting excited about what Chip just said because he says like, where the church is not. When, so, I said, when that, so that's what I was thinking. Yeah. It's like if the church is preaching the gospel and preaching the word of God well, then that's when the, the best miracles come because that's when life change happens. But if we're not doing those things, then maybe God's gonna use, you know, other miracles like the things that we may have seen in the old testament. They also they didn't have they didn't have Jesus yet. You know, that or they Jesus was around, but he hadn't come in the flesh yet. So miracles look different because they didn't have that promise that we have now. Yes. And is it John 13 where they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's the preaching of the word of God. And it's the um, the fellowship of the church, loving one another to Mm -hmm. be able to witness who Christ is. So where you don't see the word of God and where you don't see the church, oftentimes God's going to break in with miracles. That's good. Right, because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Yeah. Right. right. So if you can hear the word, that's the primary thing necessary for faith. Right. Yeah, it's good. Mm. It's good. All right, I got one. Uh, I got one for Chip. So it seems like there is a... Massive emphasis on um, ethnic Judaism and the Israelites in the Old Testament. But as we move into the new, which um, if you're worshiping with us on Sunday, we have our first sermon in the New Testament this coming Sunday, which is really, really exciting. So you don't want to miss that. You can join us at 9 or 1030. That's the shameless plug. That's a, good plug. That's a shameless plug. You don't want to miss it. Fall launch. Um so as we as we move into the New Testament, it seems like there's a little bit of less of an emphasis on God um, chasing down the Jews and this focus on ethnic Judaism. So could you maybe explain some of that? That's a good question, and to get at it gets asked a lot. Um, what, uh, so I think there's a <clears throat> there's a macro answer um, and a little. Uh, and more of a micro answer. The macro answer is in the Old Testament, what it, what God is doing in the establishment of uh, his covenant people turn out to be uh, ethnic Hebrews, ethnic Jews, descendants of Abraham by blood. What he's doing is he is establishing a people through whom he plans to bless the world. So we see that in Genesis 12 with the call mm-hmm. of Abram. Mm-hmm. He says, I, I, you know, if you will do these things, then I'm going to do these things. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. Um, but he is very, very, very clear from the very beginning that it is not an ethnic thing. It isn't a racial thing. He's using them and he is establishing them and he needs to keep them religiously pure. So you get a lot of um, uh, a lot of laws and regulations about not marrying, for example, people who worship other gods. Um, and he says, you're going to go worship these other gods and you're going to start, uh, you know, you're going to marry somebody who worships these other gods and you're going to start, you can't, we can't have that. Um, and so he is trying to keep them religiously pure because he has a mission for them. Israel is intended to be a light to the world. It's supposed to be a city set on a hill. They're supposed to be a counterculture community that people can look to, to see that the nations, the world can look to, to see what does it look like to be in a relationship with God? Yeah. And so this is Israel's role, but all all along the way, God makes all of these provisions, for example, for sojourners, 
that people who are not ethnically Jews, but they're That's coming good. through. That's good. And he says, look, you, you need to make room for them to be able to participate yep. in your festivals and to be able to worship in your temple. You know, you get to the New Testament and Jesus gets so angry in the temple. He says, my, this, my father's house is supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And so it was never, you know, in, in Isaiah, God says, it's too light a thing that I would raise up the Messiah just to save Israel. He will be a light to the nations. And so it, it's never a racial thing. It's always a mission thing. Hmm. And then what happens tragically, as we've been studying over the last five or six weeks, is Israel again and again and again rejects God's mission. They turn inward. They reject him their worship gets corrupted. The priesthood gets corrupted. They refuse to follow God's law. They're constantly marrying people who worship other gods, et cetera, et cetera. So when you get then to the New Testament, and Jesus is talking about now an ushering in of the kingdom, and he says, and I'm going to gather my people, and, and I'm going to call them the church. But the mission hasn't changed. The only difference is instead of the world coming to Israel to see what it's like to be in a relationship with God. Jesus says, I'm going to send the church to the world. That's good. So now the people of God are still a counterculture. They still are supposed to live in a way that shows people what it's like to be in a relationship with God. They are uh, still supposed to follow his commands or Jesus. We talked about this Sunday. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The only difference is we're scattered, not gathered. And so when now the spirit of God doesn't dwell inside a temple in the middle of the camp of Israel, the spirit of God dwells inside believers who he sends out to the world. And so the macro view is that what God was really doing was not favoring a race of people because of their race. He was establishing a covenant with his people for the sake of his mission to redeem and restore all things to himself through Christ. That's very helpful. In the New Testament, all that happens is the baton gets passed from a nation state to the church, and it gets scattered. Now, on a micro level, what we see, Paul's clear about this in Romans 11, is that God is not going to forsake his covenant with the ethnic offspring of Abraham. Rather, what he says is, because of the disobedience of Israel, the Gentiles have been brought in, and the uh, ethnic Israelites have been cut off. We see that, and the, not all, but the majority of Jews rejected Jesus as Messiah. Um, keeping in mind that Jesus was Jewish, uh, most but not all the apostles were Jewish. They died considering themselves Jewish. That they Jesus didn't start a new religion. Right. He's just continuing what his father had been doing since the beginning. And so what Paul says in Romans chapter 11 is there is going to come a time when the fullness of the Gentiles have come in that Israel, meaning ethnic Jews, will be grafted back into the vine. There'll be a great revival, a great returning of ethnic Jews. And so we do see on a micro level that, but we know, Hebrews 11, that the same way that, that ethnic Jews were saved in the Old Testament was by trusting the promises of God and it being counted to them as righteousness. Mm -hmm. The same way that all people of all nations now are brought into the covenant of uh, redemption with God, covenant relationship with God, is by trusting his promises, salvation by grace through faith. And the way that we'll see this great returning of ethnic Jews at some point before Christ returns is that they will trust Jesus as Messiah, trust the promises of God, they'll be saved by God's grace through faith. The same way their father Abraham was, the same way you and I are.
God's heart has always been for all people. That's right. That's really good. So I got a follow-up question to that that I just thought about while you're speaking. Can we still say that the Jews are God's chosen people? Those that have accepted Jesus as Messiah are. Okay. But as a nation, I guess in, in a, because there's going to be an opportunity for them to come back to the faith, maybe there is a... Well, the Israel that we have today was created by the United Nations, not God. Okay. That's a controversial statement, and all of our listeners may not like that. Okay. But the reality is that God took away the throne of Israel from a king standpoint, and it is now given to Jesus, the rightful Davidic king. He's the true vine. Correct. As John 15 tells about. There is no more temple. There is no more capital city. Now, when Jesus returns... It says he's going to reestablish his throne to rule over the entire world on the Mount of Olives. Mm. So Jerusalem is not gone from God's plan, Mm. but God's plan is no longer a theocratic nation state. And the decline of that nation state began when the people of Israel rejected God as king and demanded a king on their own, Mm. which was Saul. And so the, the, Paul's argument in Romans is uh, you can't just claim because Abraham was your father, meaning ethnic father, that you're a child of God. God could raise up children of Abraham mm-hmm. from the stones. Mm-hmm. Rather, those who believe are the children of Abraham. Now, that's not me knocking ethnic Jews. Please don't hear that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that in any way. What I'm saying is that from the very beginning, there were ethnic Jews in the Old Testament who were not saved because they rejected God. They were swallowed up and destroyed. Yeah. Just because you were circumcised did not mean you were saved. Right. Hebrews 12 was clear about that. They believed God. It was counted to them as righteousness. Same way we're saved, the same way they will be saved. Is that helpful? It is. It is. And I think about when Paul is burdened for his Jewish brethren. Oh, In Romans chapter, is it nine? No. It's not nine. Um. Here, it's Romans 10. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Um, Oh, that's, ooh, that is. No, it is chapter 9. That's chapter 10 because he says in chapter 9, I wish myself that I was was accursed and cut from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen. They are the Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ. So there is right. something special about this nation. Yes. And I've heard Tommy Nelson But preacher, Paul's saying, I wish that they would be saved because those things are theirs. That's exactly right. But there are some who've rejected it. Right. Right, yeah. And, you know, I I don't know. You might could poke holes in this, but I, I remember Tommy Nelson, pastor at Denton Bible Church in Texas. He said one time, I heard him preach this in a sermon, that when a, a Jew becomes a believer, that he's... Like when a Gentile becomes a believer, I was converted. I was converted at eight Mm -hmm. years old. When a Jew becomes a believer, he's completed because of the history of the Jewish nation. And now there's a completion because he has found the Messiah. Hmm. Well, that's Jesus' entire ministry is I'm fulfilling all these things. Right. Yep. So there's a completion. It's basically the last thing I said on Sunday. We're going to turn the page and we're going to see how all these things are fulfilled. It's good. Yeah. That's good. All right. I got a question. Uh, to Megan. So Bring it. 
In 1 Samuel 16, David is anointed king, mm-hmm. and right after he's anointed king, the Holy Spirit rushes upon him. And then just in verse 14, so just immediately after that, it says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So my question mm-hmm. is, does God really, because it says a harmful spirit from the Lord. So does God really send evil spirits to people? So, Oof. Okay, this is a hard one also because um, especially if you are like me and struggle sometimes with slipping into work-based pattern, you're like, oh, gosh, if I sin, God's going to send an evil spirit to torment me. You know, that's where my mind goes sometimes when I can read these kinds of stories. And there's a few things to remember. The first is that to go back to the Holy Spirit rushing on David, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was not like the Holy Spirit that we have now. He's the same person, but the way that we have the Holy Spirit now is he, we are sealed with him. He comes on us. He never leaves right after we give our life over to Jesus. But same spirit, different manifestation. Exactly. Yep. Same spirit. Thank you. But before Jesus, um, the Holy Spirit would come on people for a certain amount of time or a certain task and then depart. And so that's some of what's happening with David here when the Spirit is rushing on him. I mean, he he loved God before that, but that was the Holy Spirit. And then with the evil spirits, um, it one of the things we have to remember with this is that People make cho- people make choices, and God is sovereign at the same time. And what I what I mean by that is, Saul had choices to continue to follow God or not, and he continued to choose no. He continued to choose his own path. He continued to choose his own way and what he wanted in his kingdom, rather than submitting to God. And so, when we are doing that, we are opening ourselves up to evil because we're choosing evil over choosing. God. Mm. Um, so that's one thing. And then I think the other thing is that God still uses the spiritual world for his purposes. So even if it's an evil spirit, who's obviously anti-God because God is in control of those spirits, because he's in control of everything, he's still going to use them for his purpose. And to that, Josh actually gave a really good sermon on this a few years ago. It was before I was here, but I have some of his notes. And so it could have been four things when we think about the spirit that was tormenting Saul. It could have been a good spirit that God sent, but it was meant uh, to harm Saul, to help him grow and maybe become repentant over his sin. Like to discipline. To discipline him. Which Hebrews 12 talks about that. Yeah, to to discipline him. Right, like we've experienced that in the room, right, where the spirit has (laughs) rebuked us or refined us, and it's painful, but it helps us grow Mm. as Christians. Uh, it could have been a good spirit punishing him um, for his sin, which is kind of similar to the other. It well, could, we see, we see, and we see that in Exodus chapter 12. Right. With he sends the angel of death. Right, 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 right. That was still That's a right. good spirit. Yeah, yeah. It could have been an evil spirit that God turned over to Saul to help wake him up and to save him. You know, so something evil pursuing him to help him realize the gravity of his choices and that he could turn back to God. And we see this in, I believe, First Corinthians 5, where we see this guy committing an egregious sin, mm. where he's sleeping with his father's wife. 
And Paul uses the language where he's telling the church, you need to turn him over to Satan mm-hmm. so yep. that one day he will be saved. And so I think we see that, turn him over to Satan. In other words, he, in, in order that he freaks out and ultimately that he will come back to the Lord, which we see that actually happen in Second Corinthians, uh, in Second Corinthians where he comes back. That's right. He, Paul's almost saying... He, he needs to experience a little preview of hell now so he doesn't spend all of eternity. Yeah, yeah that's, that's that's exactly right. Yep. Or, you know, lastly, it could have been an evil spirit that God turned him over to because um, he wasn't choosing God. Um, so, I mean, it's and, likely. And we see this in Romans chapter 1. Yep. Where oh, that, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So God turns us over to exactly what we want, and we ended up, we end up, um, uh, following and entertaining and reaping the harmful consequences of our bad choices. Yeah. So passive wrath. Yeah. Yeah. It's likely that these evil spirits or evil spirits wanted to attack Saul before, but um, God had not given them the freedom to do so. And because Saul was continuously choosing himself and disobeying God, maybe God said, all right, fine. You can you can torment him now because again, God's in in control of all of that. So for us as Christians, we can know that um, the spiritual world is real, and sometimes we do experience spiritual warfare. I think majority of us in the room have experienced that. But as we continue to honor, love, and follow God, evil still has to submit to God. So even as as God's kids. We don't have to read those verses with as much fear as sometimes we might be tempted to I do. mean, if anything, I read it, and I'm actually kind of very, well, not kind of, but very encouraged because we see in Mark one twenty seven that it reads that Jesus commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Yeah, that's right. The fact that I serve a God who lives in me, like going back to what you said earlier, the Holy Spirit will never leave me. So he's always in me, someone that commands the evil spirits and they obey him. And so I don't ever have to be fearful that the Lord is going to send an evil spirit, um, first of all, to dwell in me. That's right. And even if there is an evil spirit, like from the in Romans chapter 12, where he disciplines those he loves, mm-hmm. I need to ultimately be thankful for that. Because it's just God. First of all, he's never going to overcome me because greater is in he who is in me than he who is in the world. Mm -hmm. And second of all, anything I experience outside of myself is ultimately from a sovereign God who loves me and is for my best. That's good. So even if I'm in a situation like Mm -hmm. the guy was in 1 Corinthians 5, Mm -hmm. and in a sense the Lord sends an evil spirit to where I am woking up to some of the experiences of hell so that eventually that I will turn back to the Lord as happens in second Corinthians mm-hmm. in second Corinthians that I should be ever the more thankful for a God who loves me that deeply. Yeah. And it's in that much in control of the spiritual world. It's good. All right. You got it. I got one for you, Josh. This is probably the biggest question that I have in all of the different chapters that we're doing, which is a lot. So we're in the middle of first Kings. We're reading all about, uh, the, the kings that um, that had been over Israel, we get to the divided kingdom, all this stuff. Well, then there's this story about uh, this man of God who talks with Jeroboam, and um, he gives judgment to Jeroboam. Well, then he leaves, and there's this random story in 1 Kings 13 where there's this old prophet who approaches this man of God, 
and I'm just going to read a few verses. The The man of God gets on his donkey, and then um, the old prophet goes after him. And in verse 14, it says, um, the old prophet followed the man of God and found him sitting under an oak tree. And he asked him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he said. And then he said to him, come home with me and eat some food. But he answered, I cannot go back with you or accompany you. I will not eat food or drink water with you in this place. For a message came to me by the word of the Lord. You must not eat food or drink water or go back the way you came. But he said to him, I'm a prophet like you. An angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord. Bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat food and drink water. The old prophet deceived him, and the man of God went back with him, ate food in his house, and drank water. Okay, and then we go on a few verses later, and uh, the man of God gets back on his donkey, goes back on his trip, and then a lion attacks him and kills him. So I'm just really (laughs) confused at why this story is here in the middle of all this stuff about the kings, and then why would... Why would the death of this man of God be to be mauled by a lion? You know, what's the significance of this story of the old prophet, the man of God? Well, you're right. It is kind of random and it is kind of out of the norm. And I'm very intrigued by the fact. I'd just like to be clear that um, as the lead pastor, I feel like it's not random. I feel like it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Has been okay. Along. That's oh true. God. You've both used that <laughs> word now. I just feel like it's like... Let's just be clear on what our doctrine of scripture is. Yes, nothing's random. Thank it, you. you may, <laughs> it may seem random to you. Yes. Josh, what do you think in the sovereignty of God and the inspiration <laughs> of the Holy Spirit this story means? You know, it's interesting that I would even use that word because in the last podcast, I was really pushing the five ports of Calvinism. And then all <laughs> Josh, of a sudden in this Josh podcast, a lot has happened yeah. over the past <laughs> couple of months. Josh was the troublemaker last time. This week, it's me. Uh, okay, so it's not random. Uh and I think it's there for a purpose. And so, right. you know, in this story with the man of God and you got this old prophet and the old prophet admits that he lies to him when he says, hey, come and to my place. And the, the, um, but the man of God ends up obeying him anyway, even though he had this direct revelation from the Lord. That right. you shall stay on the path and not go eat and spend time with those who would ask you to spend time, whether it's a king or whether it's a prophet. And I feel like what this story teaches us is to when you have a direct word from the Lord, you should be skeptical to anyone else who says, uh, yeah, but this is also the word of the Lord, and it may contradict what you've already heard from God. For instance, in this day and age, which I think can be very common and um, happens more often than not, is that we will read what God's word tells us to do, and then we will hear the world, the flesh, and the devil tell us something mm. else to mm-hmm. do. Just as Satan was distorting God's word in the garden, that he still distorts God's word today That's good. through my own flesh that may tell me, well, I know this is what God's word says, but I have this other um, person speaking to me, and it could be myself. Mm-hmm. It could be another pastor that I'm at a church, mm-hmm. and they say, I have a direct revelation from the Lord. It could be someone else that says, hey, I've been thinking about you, and God told me this, and you need to go do this. And if it contradicts God's word, then you say, I'm not doing it. That I'm speak-. So all the more, this says it tells us two things. One is, I have to be in God's word every day. It's good. And the second thing is, I have to be applying 
every day what God words tells me and not listen to my own flesh or what other words of quote unquote wisdom may come elsewhere that would contradict what I'm reading in God's word. And it's okay to test out what other people say, you know? Thessalonians tells us we should. Right. Test like, all things, hold on to what's good. Right. Like, like Chip would test be. Test it according to God's word. That's, that's right. what I mean. That's Not what I mean. Test yeah. it, go try this, try no, that. No, no, right. no. no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, it's okay. Like, if you have questions from the sermon when you get home on Sunday and you go home and study the scripture, that's good. That's like, good. that's what God wants. That's what, what we are supposed to do. So if someone says, this is the word of God, you're being a good student of God's word if you're going to research that and make sure. That's what the Bereans do. That's exactly, that's mm-hmm. exactly what I was just thinking. You wonder if the Apostle Paul had this passage in 1 Kings 13 in mind when he writes to the Galatians in Galatians 1. And he says, I'm shocked mm. that you've so quickly turned from the gospel of him who called you mm. Christ to another gospel. And then he says, parenthetically, not that there is another gospel. And then he says... But l- let me just be clear, if we, meaning Paul and his band of traveling um, apostles and helpers, if we or an angel preaches to you another gospel, let him be accursed. Mm. Yeah. And so Paul is saying to the Galatians, look, we have received the fullness of the word of God in the flesh in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If anybody, including them, or, or you think an angel tries to tell you something different, d- d- don't listen to it. And, you, you know, Paul's a man steeped in, I mean, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees, he says in Philippians 3. He's steeped in knowledge of the Old Testament. He probably had large portions of it memorized given his education uh, in his lifetime. And I just wonder, you know, if he had this passage in mind when yeah. he said to the Galatians, I don't care who comes and tells you they've heard something from the Lord. You've heard it from Jesus. That's enough. It's mm-hmm. good. That's really good. I would say just as a as a pastoral word, uh, and this happens usually a couple of times a year. Um, it, <clears throat> you must have some relationship with King's Cross if you're listening to this podcast. And so, um, if you are listening to other podcasts, if you are reading other books, if you, heaven forbid, are watching other pastors on TV, um, and there's some good pastors on TV, but. Man, you got to be skeptical. Um, if you have come out of another church recently, if you have questions, just come ask us. Yeah. Have you heard of this woman? Have you heard of this guy? Have you ever read this book? Have you ever listened to this? Do you know this movement? Um, you know, I just had a conversation in my office today with someone who's concerned about some movements that are popular online. And they're like, just come talk to us about that. And if we don't know them, we'll research them for you. Yep. And, and we'll help you. Uh, discern whether or not that that is a good gospel centered, biblically faithful source for you to listen to. Or or if not, we'll be honest with you and tell you that. So that's good. And if you hear one of us say something on the podcast or in the pulpit or in an email or in a curriculum or something, and you know, it's contrary to the word, speak up about that too. Like when you use the word random and we know that God is sovereign. That's right. I I already got rebuked. I got rebuked. Hey, yeah, I don't know who's listening to this. They Two might. elders have texted me. <laughs> uh, uh, Josh, I got a question. Okay. Uh, in Job chapter one, and we didn't get into this a lot in the series, but um, it says the sons of God, um, and maybe you can tell us who you think that is, and Satan present themselves before God. And so... 
that can be a little confusing sometimes because a lot of times people like me like to say God can't be in the presence of evil. Um, and so that seems a little confusing. But also, uh, why are they, why do they have to present themselves before God? Well, can you help us to understand that a little bit? Okay, well, I think because of the context of this passage, because also like in verse 6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So Satan was there. In verse 13, there was a day when his, uh, I'm sorry, in verse uh, chapter 2, 1, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves with the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So he's there, and so... Who are the sons of God, do you think? Angels. Angels. That's what I'm saying, because Satan's an angel. He's a fallen angel. And so now, are the rest of the sons of God that are here, the rest of the angels, are they fallen angels? I don't know, Mm -hmm. but they're in the angelic realm. realm. I think we did talk about that some on one of our first podcasts, actually. Yeah, we did. So, And Andy actually preached through the book of Job. He did. And I remember when he was speaking out of Job 1 and 2 that I was very intrigued by what he said, because I've always... I've always been fascinated with the beginning chapters of Job because I feel like I felt like this gives us a glimpse into the spiritual realm that I've just assumed is like happening all the time that all the time the sons of God the angels are presenting themselves before the Lord maybe it's on a daily basis and they're having to give an answer to him but Andy says something that struck me in a sermon and he said that well there's nothing out of these two verses in verse six and in verse uh, of chapter one and in two one, that it says that this is happening on an ongoing basis. It just says, and there was a day and then there was another day Mm. when the angels presenting themselves before God. So it could have been that these were just some one-off situations that we don't know a hundred percent. So Andy may be right. We know the seraphim are always in the presence of God, but that's a different category of spiritual being. Yeah, spiritual. So, but there are two things that we do know, and that is that when God does call a meeting, whether it's on a daily basis or whether it's every once in a blue moon, that when he calls a meeting, everyone who he calls will show up. (laughs) Yeah, you better. (laughs) Nobody's not showing up at a meeting that God calls. It's not optional. (laughs) And and the second thing is because, because God is sovereign, everyone, whether we know it or not, meaning you, me, and every being in the universe. And everything is always at all times in every way presenting ourselves to God. We are Mm. always in submission to him and under his control. Now, it could be that there's, and most of the people have not submitted their lives to Christ and have become believers. So we recognize that because God's given us free will. But we're always, whether we're cognitively, consciously doing this or not, that we are in submission and always having to give an answer to the Lord. And he's so much in control that he decides whether or not we have our next breath and we have our next heartbeat. So I think to some degree Mm -hmm. that we're always presenting ourselves to God because God is omnipresent. He is omnipotent and that we are always in his presence of the uh, in the presence of the one who is everywhere and so we are always in submission and held a, and a, to an account to God. And so, Deo. so this is happening all the time. Now, this is a specific time mm-hmm. to where they were presenting themselves to the Lord and it was to set the stage for what God was going to do in the life of 
Job. And I think we do go back to what we just talked about earlier about a harmful spirit coming for the good of those who are believers. And I think this might be what is happening in the book of Job. There could be some Hebrews chapter 12 discipline that's going on Mm. that we don't know about. It is ultimately to draw Job closer to himself. Mm. It is ultimately to bless Job in ways that which he cannot imagine. Um, And it's ultimately to give us now the church reading this passage, a glimpse at how God works in today's world. And so, yes, it could be specific that it was just happening at that particular time. But the answer to the original question, my answer to why do the sons of God and Satan have to present themselves before God? I think it's happening all the time Mm -hmm. in every way, in every situation, because we're under the control of a sovereign God and that we always have to give an answer to him. I think sometimes and Megan, I don't know, you might see this more in um, or a lot rather in student ministry. But but I know as adults, especially has tends to be more often adults who've been in church for a long time we can get really, really, really captivated by and wrapped up in the spiritual realm. Yeah. Um, and I think there are two errors we can make there. I'm off on a tangent here, I know. But um, one is to completely discount the spiritual realm yep. and act as if, well, we don't see it, therefore it's not real. Um, and you cannot read through the scriptures and come away with that stand. But the other would be to take so much interest in it because the reality is that God doesn't tell us a lot in his word about things that happen in the spiritual realm and almost nothing about why. I mean, we're told, for example, that angels are doing battle and literally delayed, delayed. In, their, in their answer to prayer. What, what is that about? Um, you were told that there, it appears that, that, um, that demons are assigned to geography. How does that work? And, but the reality is we're not told a lot of that. So I think Josh, you're right to say like for us, the question I want to ask is, so what, what does it mean that they presented themselves before God? Well, it means he's an authority. over. Mm. Yep. That's exactly what I was going to say is that God has evil on a leash. Like there's only so much that they can still do. You know, and what they, whatever the spirits do accomplish, they had to get permission for to even think about and executing. So, and even in that, there's some mystery, right? Because our minds yeah. can race really quickly too. Well, you're well, saying, well, why is he to let them do that? That's exactly hey, no. the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of mankind would not have happened if it wasn't for God using evil on a leash. That's right. And that was Jesus dying on the cross. That's, that's uh, yeah, that's exactly good. Right. Yeah. So some of those things, I think, you know, Job, you started with a question about Job one, you, you get to the end of Job and he says, you know, I, I, I had heard of these things and now my eyes have seen and I repent in dust and ashes. Yeah. It's just some things we, we don't know. And part of humility is understanding your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are greater than my thoughts. I ju- there are some things I just don't know. And the entire end of the book of Job is basically God saying that to Job. Yeah. And I think to go back to your point, Chip, about asking about you know, with, with adults, we can hyper, hyper focus on spiritual things. I think with students, what I've seen is pretty similar with adults. It's, it's either we ignore the spiritual or are overly emphasized with it. And yep. I think it's helpful to know which camp that you fall into, mm-hmm. you know, personally at times it's easier for me to drift into not thinking as much about, um, about that there's a real spiritual world where, um, the spirits are working, rather than overemphasizing on it. And, and, but then there have been times where I have overemphasized on it. So it's just healthy to know 
where you're at and how to have a healthy understanding and healthy view of both of them or both perspectives um, because both realities are true. So stay in the, stay in the middle and the way that you can best stay in the middle is um, one of my, one of my former pastors used to say, preach what the Bible preaches about and whisper what the Bible whispers about. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the Bible to your point, Chip talks a lot, you know, it talks significantly about spirits, but not near as much about That's right. how it talks about the gospel and God's love for his people and sending Jesus and our need for God. And so the more that we understand those things, um, things like, you know, the spiritual realm and evil spirits fall into their proper place in That's our right. minds. That's good. What? I probably shouldn't say this. But a big grin on well, it's just because I'm just thinking. I've lived in my house for 16 years, and I don't know what 16 times 52 is as far as the weeks that I've lived in my house. Two or three of those weeks, my house was haunted by a couple of demons. Hmm. It's real. It is real. I mean, I can tell you, I we're not going to talk about it now, but it is real. Yeah. Uh, but the majority I'd of the like time. To know more about that. Yeah. You can email J. <laughs> at King's Cross. King's Cross but the majority of time that I've lived in my house, I haven't seen any evidence of that. Yeah. And so, anyway, I'm just saying it's, it's real, real. But it is you know. real. I, I would tell you, I've um, only once, uh, and not in this country, but have been under active spiritual oppression. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember um, you tell, I'm aware talking about of what that. that feels like Mm -hmm. um, I don't spend every day reconsidering it or trying to examine it. Right. So we shouldn't be blind to it. We shouldn't ignore it. But we also shouldn't say the devil's attacking me because X, Y, and Z when it's really our poor choices, you know, like to go back to the example of Saul, the Romans one. Yeah. For him to go on and on about the devil attacking him. Well, yeah, there's some of that that's true, but a lot of it is because he was choosing himself in his own sin over and over and over. And there are times where we don't sin and the devil does attack us, but. Well, let's do this. Maybe we're getting close to um, other pressing questions. No, I'm just rambling at this point. Well, so we're getting close to an hour. I'm going to, I want to do this. I want to give a touch because we're not going to have time to cover this in uh, our sermon series. So if you've gotten this far into the podcast, you get a little bonus material here. Um, and, uh, I talked on Sunday, this past Sunday, September 3rd, about, um, this 400 years of silence, uh, between the old Testament and the new Testament. Um, scholars will call that, sometimes you hear people call it the intertestamental, the between testamental period. Um, scholars usually call the second temple period. So let me just give a very, very, very brief, um, overview of, of what's happening there. So, um, uh, Babylon is on the decline. Um, Persia basically like um, subsumes the Babylonian Empire. They just kind of absorb the Babylonian Empire. Uh, and then you've heard of Alexander the Great in Greece. Alexander the Great uh, is on the rise. He defeats the Persians uh, in the early 300s BCs. He dies in the 320s BC, and his kingdom gets divided famously among uh, four generals. One of them uh, was from Syria, and one of them was from Egypt. Egypt rules over Israel um, from the uh, 320 or so until about 200 BC, and then Syria comes in, and Syria uh, rules at some point. Um, the Hebrews, Israelites, the the Jews who are left, um, begin to ask for help 
uh, when they ask for help is when Rome comes on the scene. They conquer in uh, 63 BC. Between those two times, though, before Rome comes in and after Syria comes in, um, you get this famous Maccabean revolt. Uh, there had been a um, desecration of the temple and a slaughtering of 40,000 Jews under, under Antiochus Epiphanes. Um, and uh, so as a, as a reaction to that, the Jews revolted in the Maccabean revolt. The temple was rededicated, and that is where we get the festival of Hanukkah. comes out of that time period in between. In between the Testaments is the time period where we see the rise of the Pharisees, who mm. by the time we get to the New Testament, everybody's going to think of the Pharisees as bad guys. They weren't bad guys. Um, they were kind of blue-collar, normal pastor types who were trying to help people live according to God's law doing the best that they could. I, I tell people, you know, if you had been around, like you would have liked the Pharisees. They, they would have seemed like normal down to earth, good guys. All that comes about um, in that middle period in between the Testaments. Um, but it's after the Maccabean revolt and the temple's rededication when um, what we now call Hanukkah comes about that, um, that they reach out, the Jews reach out, and they're looking for help. They reach out to Rome. Rome comes in and conquers and does what they uh, always do, which is that they conquer and then they never leave. <laughs> and so they uh, put Herod the Great in charge, and Herod the Great is the one who winds up kind of renovating the temple. And by the time you get to the New Testament, people are familiar with, uh, with Herod the Great. So we're not really going to get to that. Um, I may skim it some briefly, but I don't think we're going to get uh, to a lot of what is going on uh, there. That's what happens in between the two uh, the two testaments. You also get the, the rise of some other groups. The Sadducees pop up in there, and we'll hear about them in the New Testament. They were kind of elites. They were allied with Rome. Um, you know, wealthy politician types, if you want to think of it that way, um, and and other groups that you kind of meet in the New Testament, the Essenes and the Zealots, Zealots. and people like that. Yeah. Um, so just wanted to touch on that briefly before we kind of wrap this up because uh, some of our folks may be interested in that and you may be listening to this podcast in between the Malachi sermon and, and the turning of, uh, of a page to chapter 8 in the story. That's so, good. Anything else, guys, before we wrap up? It could be that if anybody's made it this far in the podcast, that they have drifted off to sleep and they're experiencing up. maybe 40 minutes of silence instead of 400 years. Sure. Yep. That's right. We'd like to thank our moms for still listening. Yes. Thank you, mom. <laughs> we appreciate that. Uh, anything else, Megan? No, I'm good. Hope to see you all on Sunday. Okay. Yeah, I think Jacob has some things, but uh, he doesn't have a microphone, so that's too bad. Oh, yeah. All right. We love you. This has been a podcast at King's Cross Church. If you have any questions, you can always email us. Email the story at kingscross.org, and maybe we'll get to those next time. If not, we hope maybe you'll join us on a Sunday morning for worship. You can find us at 9 or 1030. Both services are identical. We'll continue our journey through God's Word together. Until then, we love you. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you.